0: Okay, so um, so I'm just going to uh, do a little talk, maybe about, hopefully about 45 minutes or something, um, just to kind of introduce the theme of the week, the theme of the week, which is the Greater Mandala. Uh, so um, the, the the source of the, uh, it's online, you can find uh, a chapter from a book called Wisdom Beyond Words, which Sangharachita, Wrote uh, about about wisdom, uh, and it's in a section on uh, a Buddhist scripture called the uh which is the verses on the accumulation of precious qualities. So this this is one of the perfection of wisdom uh, sutras. It's it's in there with the Heart Sutra and the Diamond Sutra, and it's specifically about. Um, uh, how how the Bodhisattva lives. So the Bodhisattva is uh, the kind of altruistic uh, Buddhist, really, who who sit not just seeking enlightenment for themselves, but seeking it for everybody. So it looks for the conditions that are going to bring about um, everybody's enlightenment at the same time. You know, uh, he or she doesn't kind of go want to go there first. They want to bring everyone with them. Um, so, in the in the talks, uh, in the chapter, Sangharakshita talks about uh, the perfection of wisdom uh, literature not being um, about it's not it's not intellectual really. It seems it very intellectual, but it's it's using the intellect to undermine the intellect, uh, and. It's not, uh, rather than just encouraging us to think about things. So, uh, he talks about silence um, being a more communicative mode than, than speaking. And uh, he says, if, if anything, there is even more communication at a more subtle level with silence than with speaking. We find more subliminal we find more subliminal and in that respect more expressive modes come into the fore involving the eyes, the face gestures and posture we may even find that we can communicate our awareness of some, someone without looking at them so I think sometimes we experience this when we go on retreat that there's, we're just kind of there in the same space and we kind of there's just a sense of each other uh, and it's not like the need to be that much kind of direct communication. Um, so, uh, in a way, well, maybe that's a bit of a something to think about for this week, you know, just kind of that silence, just being silent more of the time, uh, uh, cutting down on uh, input and, uh, you know, looking on the internet and whatever it is, uh, and just kind of taking in nature a bit more, just taking in, Taking in ourselves, you know, taking in what's there. It's a bit like that meditation, just kind of like, what is my situation? Where am I? You know, where is this? You know, I have a body. <laughs> Remembering that, trying to let it support us. So, all of this is like the is like the greater mandala. Um, so in uh, so is talks about the. Um, about awareness, you know, like a Buddha's awareness being war- a warm thing, not a cold thing. And uh, uh, you get, um, there, there are three basic words for wisdom in, in the Buddhist tradition. There's pranayama, vidya, and jnana. So pranya is more the thinking side of things. So we kind of reflect on reflect on life, and we come up with a, a different view of things, or a better view of things. So that's pranya. Uh, and um, a Buddhist scholar called Herbert Gunther talks about this as analytical appreciative understanding. So it's not just analytical, it's like um, somehow the, the emotions are in, in there as well. In fact, you know, it's a bit like if you think that. Um, what we try you know to get to enlightenment you 've got to you 've got to take your, the whole of yourself there you know so you 've got to take your emotions there and your intellect there and your body there so it 's completely obvious really that you know you need to have there 's an emotional component to wisdom you know there has to be one because it 's our emotions that that really dominate things you know uh, they, you know, we might think, oh, yeah, I really want to med- get up and meditate tomorrow morning. But it's our emotions that di- di- probably dictate whether it actually happens or not, you know, our desires. So somehow we've got to kind of bring uh, our desires on board, um, you know, if we're going to kind of get any- get anywhere, and particularly if we're going to get any kind of wisdom. Uh, and so, in, in in this chapter, he talks about um, about loving kindness or metta as as being like pranya or it is pranya. So, wisdom is uh, is loving kindness. So, I'll come back to that later. I want you know, I want to sort of try and explore w- what that might mean. The second type of wisdom uh, is Aesthetic Appreciation, or Vidya. And he talks about it as a a sort of relishing of things, uh, a harmony with the world. So it's a kind of wisdom that's more associated with intuition. So it's like you kind of... You intuit that something feels right. Whereas with Pranayama, you kind of know that something is right, or you think it's right. Uh, It's more of this kind of aesthetic sense. So I suppose it's like maybe when... um, you know maybe when we 're dealing with poetry, this is more happen- yeah. Yeah. this this kind of wisdom is more um, coincidental the so yeah, you know we need to kind of get into a sense of uh, aesthetic appreciation uh, towards life, and uh, what we often have when when we're kind of uh, dealing with knowledge is like we're sort of very utilitarian about it. So, you know, we think, um, it gives the example of seeing a tree uh, and an Indian friend said, oh, you know, he says, what a magnificent tree. And his friend said, yeah, what a lot of firewoods in that tree. So it's a bit like, you know, we need to we need to kind of just appreciate the things that are around us. And so a mandala, uh, a mandala is like... Um, we get these Tibetan mandalas that have all sorts of Buddhas in them or they're just kind of... Uh, sh- just shapes. And so a mandala is something like... Um, it's a symbol and in the centre of the mandala is what's important. So it's a bit like... Uh, you know, you might put a particular Buddha in, in the centre of a mandala that you, you associate with or a Bodhisattva, like Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of Compassion. If you want to kind of like really focus on that quality or developing that quality, but then that quality is then in relationship to other qualities like wisdom or like energy or whatever. So, So it's almost like if you're focusing on something, the other parts of universe need to kind of come into relationship with that, around that so a mandala is just a way of thinking about things in sort of two dimensions Uh, so we can have a sense of um, our life uh, having a mandala you know, being a mandala so we put certain things in in the centre that we think are important and then we're kind of aware of other things around them and It can be quite helpful to do that to just make a mandala of your life. You know what's happening. What, what you know, where do various bits of your life fit into that? And do you want them that close to the centre, or do you want to put them further further out? So the the, the central uh, the central message really uh, of the of the talk is that. Um, You know, what we normally do is we have aesthetic appreciation as something like a hobby, uh, you know, and then we do that a bit in the context of all our practical activity which just kind of takes over most things. Um, But uh, what's been suggested here is that we do it the other way around. So so the Bodhisattva uh, has a sense of just... And aesthetic appreciation just kind of enjoying uh, life, enjoying the universe enjoying people um, you know not they don't. You know, not wanting to get anything out of them uh, and then within all of that, within that, that kind of a sense of appreciation then they are active, you know, so they do various things and they're kind of very active you know, so they do lots of um, things to help help beings, but they do it coming from a place which is sort of spacious and uh, you know, has this yeah, sense of um, uh, 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 it's like an aesthetic world really So, um It's like, uh, I'm just trying to kind of, this is, this is Sangharachita's talk, or his chapter. So what I wanted to do is to kind of tr- just try and explore that a bit, how that might actually work more in our experience. You know, what is, how can we actually access this kind of greater mandala through our experience? Uh, and w- one of the things that I, I've focused a lot on in the last 10 years is... Um, is uh, a Buddhist teaching called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. So, the, this is the central teaching of the Buddha on, on mindfulness. And uh, so, it's like, uh, it's as if, well, if, if we think about what, you know, um, you know, what's the bottom line for uh, being alive, you know, for live, for being a living being? Uh, well, the bottom line is, like, you know, we're all sort of trying to find happiness and sort of escape from suffering. So that's a kind of universal thing, really. Uh, and, you know, in a way, it's what all human activity is aiming at, you know. It's like this fulfillment, sense of fulfillment. So people are, you know, working in the city to get that or they're doing social work to get that. Um, but you know, if we think about it, well, what do you need to bring happiness about? What the, you know, what do you need? Well, you need two things. Uh, logically, you need to want it. You know, so you need to want happiness for yourself and for others, which is the mettā meditation, cultivation of universal loving kindness. And you need to know how to bring it about. So, how to bring it about is mindfulness. So, in um, A scripture called The Questions of King Melinda. Um, This Greek king was uh, asked the question of a a, a monk, uh, Nagasena. What what are the marks of mindfulness? And he says, well, the mark of mindfulness is that it sees what's bright and what's dark, what's lofty and what's low, and it, it it takes hold of What's high and it lets go of what's low. So in a way, it sees what leads to happiness and lets go of what leads to to, to suffering. So you know, when the Buddha talked about the four foundations of mindfulness, so it's these these four here—body, feelings, mind—which includes the emotions and views—he's like he's saying, "the This is like this is you. This is a human being. Uh, you are, you know." The source of happiness and suffering. You're, this is your, you know, these four things are the source of happiness and suffering. So if you can bring awareness to them and turn them from being sources of suffering to being sources of happiness, then what you can do is you transform all the sources of suffering into sources of happiness. And this is called the direct path to nirvana. So it's like you become you become enlightened. Uh, so. For instance, you know if your body's in a tense state, you know it's a source of suffering, so you just try and relax it, but to do that, you have to kind of get into your body first of all so this is what we, you know we did in the earlier meditation with feelings uh, feelings are different there's different types of feelings there's feelings come about through the body they're called sensations there's feelings that come about through the mind. So they're ethical or unethical feelings, you know, conscience. And then there's feelings that come about through views. That's like a mood, you know, so you think you think I'm a rubbish person and you, you get depressed about it. So with, with all of the with feelings, you need to work out, well, what's the appropriate response to them that's going to bring happiness? So if you've got a, a, sense, a difficult, painful sensation, you should try your best to, to work with your body to get rid of it. You know, pace yourself, pace your activity. If there's nothing you can do about it, it's better to accept it, which is working on your views, uh, than it is to agonise about it. And this is called the first and second arrow. Uh, so, so you can then you know make sensation a cause of, of, of happiness. If you Working on your views, well, if your views are out of line with reality, then that's probably, that's going to give rise to feeling, particular feelings. So it says says that the Buddha, or an enlightened being, doesn't experience a mood, or doesn't experience mental feeling. Because they don't, whatever they experience, is just how things are. So they're not complaining that this thing should be other than that. And then, Ethical and unethical feelings. They're called worldly feeling and spiritual feeling. So, uh, a worldly feeling is like you, you, you're, your mind's in a state of hatred, aversion, and you see your enemy coming down the street and it's painful to you. But it's only painful because you're in a state of hatred. You know, If you were in a state of hatred, you wouldn't be feeling anything. Uh, and then... Or, you know, a, a, a spiritual feeling, a positive one, ethical feeling, is you you know you see somebody suffering and it's painful to you. So that's coming about because you're in a state of compassion. Um, yeah. So so you should act on feelings that are spiritual, you know, that, c- that come about because you're in a skillful state of mind, and don't act on them that are worldly, you know. So don't chase... Desires that just lead to addictions, you know, don't act on know yeah. painful feelings that are just based in aversion. So you know, when you see your enemy coming towards you down the street, recognize that it's um, that the, the pain is because you're in a, a, a hateful state of mind, and go, oh, I'm in a hateful state of mind. I'm treating that person as an object in my way, not as a human being. You know, so if I try and treat them as a human being, then, you know, that feeling will change or sort of go away. So, um, this is the same thing, put different, slightly differently. So, we've got body and feelings which are just presented to us. These are our experience. You know, in the moment, there's nothing we can do about them. We just have them. But then our mind and our views are... Well, how we respond to things. So that we do have control over over these two. So, um, so the mind is kind of divided into emotions which are basically con- often conditioned by feelings. So we have a feeling and it tends to just habitually condition an emotion like, you know, uh, pain, aversion. But it doesn't have to because... Our views condition our emotions as well, because you know. So, if we sort of if we have that example of seeing our enemy, and then we start to think change our view about them, you know, to be uh, that they're a living being, then we change our emotion towards them. So, there's something about um, uh, aesthetic appreciation, I think, in that is about. Taking all this, all this in, so I think when we're just utilitarian, our view is that uh, we've got this kind of fixed view that if I get this thing, you know, this pile of wood or whatever, taking that example of the tree, then, you know, I will be happy. You know, things. You know, so there's a view. So the utilitarian view is that this limited amount of thing, if I get it, then that will bring me happiness. But actually, the view, you know, the Buddhist view is that all things are impermanent, insubstantial, and therefore unsatisfactory. So, if we hold that view as well as, oh, it'd be useful to have that wood, then it's not that... uh, well, we don't. Well, one, we wouldn't. We don't put. Some, we don't invest so much energy, emotional energy, in it. You know, uh, and we're also ready when it goes. Oh, there'll be some element of us is kind of like, uh, you know, able to kind of let it go. So, that, that, so there's some sense in which an, an, an aesthetic life has this kind of. It's not so held. It's not so. Um, it 's not so grasping or something and uh, i 've sort of, done a bit of thinking about um, things like uh, how poetry works and how kind of a metaphor things like that work um, and it 's almost like you you know with a with a metaphor it 's like you 've got you know, so an example is um, poetry is a zoo. So Les Murray says poetry is a zoo. So it's like why is it a zoo? Well it's like a collection, you know. So so it's true it's kind of true oops it's true that poetry is a zoo in some sense. In some associative sense. Right? So yeah, it's it's a bit like a zoo. But literally it's not true it's not a zoo so I think what things like poetry and metaphor do is they they create like a, it's a bit like a koan you know you've got two truths going on at the same time uh, so what has to happen is that your mind, ha- is, if it's going to take both seriously it has to kind of be in here it has to, it has to occupy this space which is a sort of space of unknowing you know it's like we don't you know when we're literal about things it's like we know you know uh, and when we're kind of like just vague about things you know it's you know there's no, there's no focus, but somehow with re- with reality, we need to be in this kind of space where um where well, we're open, you know, we're being open to things. Um, we're opening ourselves to 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 learn about things. So the, there's a really nice um, poem by uh, Miroslav Holub, who's uh, who's actually It's um, quite a, he's quite unique uh, in that he he's got a double career. He's a He's quite a well-respected uh, immunologist uh, and he's a very well-respected poet. <laughs> he's like a scientist and a poet at the same time. And in his poem, Alphabet, he says, 10 um, million years from the, the Miocene to the primary school in Yenka Street, we know everything from A to Z. But sometimes the finger stops in that empty space between A and B, empty as the prairie at night, between G and H, deep as the eyes of the sea, between M and N, long as a man's birth. Sometimes it stops in the galactic cold after the letter Z, at the beginning and the end, trembling a little like some strange bird, not from despair, just like that. So, I think, um, you know, maybe what we can do a bit in the week is, like, just try to be a bit less kind of certain about things. uh, You know, about... Try a bit less certain about what is going to work in our practice, you know, uh, and try to sort of come back to what... um, Just maybe remember that diagram, you know, with the body feelings. You know, what... What is happening in my body? Is that a condition for happiness? Am I just overriding it because I want to get something done? You know, uh, how, am, how are my feelings? Am I just overriding them? Am I just switching off from them? Uh, I mean, I think uh, aesthetic uh, appreciation is very much connected with ethical feeling. So it's a bit like it is, you know, something we can cultivate. You know, we can go and... Uh, you know, we can go down the art gallery. We can like, we can get DVD, art house DVDs out. You know, so maybe sort of try to do that sort of thing in the week. Uh, get, give yourself a diet, which is which is all about cultivating this kind of ethical aesthetic sense. You know, um, where you're going to be become more attuned to the gaps between things. You know, to the to the maybes and the I don't knows and all that sort of thing Uh, and I think you know when we can do that it's a bit like um, I think maybe this space this you know can inform us a bit, it can actually help us uh, it can influence us you know it can help us relax it can help us slow down and it can help us actually make Decisions that are a bit more, um, a bit wiser, you know, a bit more all-inclusive, you know, so that we're not just kind of going right. This is what I need to do. Um, so uh, I said earlier about um, in Sangharakshita's uh, chapter in Wisdom Beyond Words, he talks about uh, pranya being met- Metri's pranya. Pranayai's metta. Um, so, in, with, uh, I think with this, it's a bit like, well, um, we need these, t- you know, we've got these two things that we need to bring about uh, happiness. Loving kindness, we've got to want it, and then we've got mindfulness, you know, how we bring it about, bringing mindfulness to ourselves, to others, you know, so that we, we do actually, we are mindful of everybody, and we do actually Maximise our, you know, the positive effects we're having on, on them. So it's a bit like the Buddhist path. Is this, uh, you know, isn't anything other than that? You know, it, it, there's no place in which meta suddenly disappears or gets replaced by something else. even though people think, oh, insight—that's some advanced sort of thing. You know, but it's a bit like meta become just becomes part of the view that we have. You know, much more consistently, really. Here, you know, so it's a bit like this view becomes bigger and bigger, and it keeps including living beings all the time, more and more. Uh, so, when um, in 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 the uh, in the Ratnaguna Gata, uh in the next uh, next chapter, it talks about uh, the, there's a quote. It says. Call forth as much as you can of love, of respect and of faith. Remove the obstructing defilements and clear away all your taints. Listen to the perfect wisdom of the gentle Buddhas taught for the wheel of the world for heroic spirits intended. So that word faith in there is, uh, is the, the, the Buddhist word is Pasada or Prasada. It's like Prasadi, that's his name. So, it's, it's what well it is it's a lucid faith. It's like seeing clearly that this is the way forward. Uh, and the the Buddhist path of the dhyanas, the kind of higher states of consciousness in meditation, um, that comes in at the second dhyana, which is the place of inspiration. So, but the dhyanas only come about through skillfulness. You know, the first dhyana is arises in dependence on skillful mental states and you know lack of lack of obsession with sensory things so it's a bit like you know that kind of that lucid faith that seeing things clearly that brightness Ratnaguna talks about it as a a brightness and like the little leaves that little green leaves that come out in the springtime it's like that beginner's mind you know it's like So, so that's what comes out of really focusing on on living beings, wanting to help them, actually helping them, and then experiencing the joy of that. Uh, And then, you know, further along, it just turns into wisdom. Really, you know, it just turns into when we when we're kind of completely skillful all the time because we really believe in that 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 is what needs to happen it's not you know it's not a, it's not a it's not a random thing you know it's a view we have then we do actually eventually uh, bring you know we are completely skillful once we've, we've we've worked ourselves worked our minds to be able to do that and that's represented by the fourth dhyana where which is talked about as, as a state of purity but it's purity in the sense that the we, know, we, don't never, we don't make a mess around it. You know, we're just always making a good, uh, making something good out of the world. You know, and, you know, when we have wisdom, we sort of, we, we're not attached even to the good things that we bring about. So, you know, we, don't, we just keep bringing good things into the world, knowing that things dissolve and fall apart and all that sort of stuff. So... Um, so in in, in Rattita's chapter, what he recommends at the end is, uh, you know, getting this balance, getting a balance between the retreat-type life, the aesthetic life, and the practical life. Uh, you know, says so that if you go to one extreme, you know, you can go to one extreme and the other, so you can go to the extreme of never really doing it, having a completely aesthetic life and never really achieving anything or doing anything for anybody else. Or you can just be kind of just always doing and you're kind of just stressing yourself out all the time. So the idea of this week is to be more, um, you know, doing our normal, you know, practical activities. uh, But doing them within this context of like this more relaxed, spacious, aesthetic uh, appreciation you know, and it, so, you know, it's like going... If, you, if you're busy, then make sure you kind of keep withdrawing from it. Keep going to, into nature. Keep meditating. Keep doing... Keep meeting up with friends in a way which is just about friendship rather than about doing you know, achieving stuff. But also, you know, do take things on. You know, you don't want to go to the other extreme. Sort of do have an effect on the world. You know, do make a difference... Uh, maybe sort of, you know, try and let the one inform the other. See if you can't actually try a bit harder with different areas in in your life. So yeah, so that's the that's the the kind of um, that's the ideal really in the Buddhist life is having that kind of those two things going on at the same time. And in a way, it's a bit like here. We, we you know, this is our experience, so we've got this spacious experience. But then we're just active as well. You know, we're, we're doing things, you know, as well. Um, okay.